1: Hello and welcome to the bunker. You'll need to know on the news, culture and politics five days a week with me, Ahir Shah. The nation is gripped once more by intrigue, round tables, shields, betrayal and murder. I am, of course, talking about Series 2 of The Traitors, a reality show with 22 contestants to begin with. Every day, all the players gather to banish a player they suspect of being a traitor, and each night the traitors murder one of the faithful. Numbers are whittled down, and victory means a prize of up to £120,000. If you've never watched it, but you have played games like Mafia or Werewolf, basically, it's people playing an extended version of that for a fortnight. But what can the psychology, groupthink, bluffs and double bluffs that we see in the traitors teach us about politics and British society? Joining me to discuss this is journalist and all-round super superfan, Zoe Williams. Zoe, welcome to The Bunker. Thank you for having me. Zoe, there was a point in the early part of this series when I found myself pausing the episode and saying to my wife, I think I finally understand how Boris Johnson happened. Yeah, Johnson clearly had a skill, as does someone like Trump, for making people he very obviously doesn't care about to throw everything behind him and follow him, right? Now, if that spell doesn't work on you. find it baffling. But of course, it worked on a lot of people right now. Of course, not every politician is like Johnson or Trump, but they were for a time undeniably successful politicians. And I guess my worry is, are the qualities that make a quote unquote good politician essentially the same as those that make a good traitor in the game?
2: It's a really interesting question, this. And I've been thinking about it a lot in terms of the lie and the lie in politics and the lie socially. And, you know, just the the mechanics of getting a group of people to believe you when you're not necessarily telling the truth, but also that group of people turning against somebody who is telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, whenever you talk to people, and I've now spoken to an FBI agent, I've spoken to an insurance fraud investigator, I've spoken to Linda Papadoulis, who, of course was on the first series of Big Brother as the psychologist. Mm -hmm. Everything they describe as a tell of a lie is down to the fact that people feel uncomfortable saying the lie. Mm -hmm. So if... If you're not, if you're a person who isn't uncomfortable, you come off as very trustworthy. Now, the kind of people who aren't uncomfortable lying are basically psychopaths, which is one mm-hmm. percent of the com- of the population, or antisocial, which is four percent of the population. Basically, if you've got absolutely no empathy and if you've got no fear of being expelled from the group, then not only can you lie with all the trappings of complete truthfulness, which I think is the Boris Johnson thing, but you can also remake the culture around yourself. So if you get a person who lies, and everybody knows they lie, and they don't care about being expelled from the group, and then they remake the group, then lying becomes its own currency. And this is something I really found fascinating about politics now, is that when you listen to a politician on the radio, they talk as though there's a shame in answering the question. Mm. There's a shame in giving a straight answer. There's a shame in not trying to bridge to a different statement. Like The very act of honesty has become a badge of shame. And that, I think, is very much a Boris Johnson hangover.
1: Yeah, that's fascinating because it sort of like makes you think both of people turning the tables around the round table and also expelling loads of conservative backbenchers in 2019 and just being like, if you want to be part of this club, you all have to agree that what's obviously wrong is in fact correct and truthful.
2: And also, if you look at, for example, at the banishment of Ash, she was a real problem for the traitor culture because she was betraying a huge amount of anxiety around her lies. And so not only was she creating a problem for them because she was going to leave a breadcrumb trail, she was also kind of, she she was sort of, toxifying the culture because they need, in order to, for them to remain kind of psychologically robust, they need to have a culture where there's no shame in what they're doing. And she was just like spraying shame everywhere she went. Like she was sweating. Her eyes were all over the place. She was doing a lot of self-soothing with her, with her behaviors. You know, she was kind of fidgeting and Everything she did was like really problematically ashamed, which is how most people are when they have to lie all day. Yeah.
1: But then equally, it's also how a lot of people, when they're under a lot of pressure, regardless, like a lot of the... Sort of faithful players have been sort of leapt upon because it's like, oh well, you're acting like you're nervous. It's like, well, of course I'm nervous. There are twenty people currently yelling at me. That is enough to make anyone sort yeah. of jittery.
2: But uh, they, you, but you know, I, I don't know. Tell me what you what you thought when you were, are. We allowed to say the other expulsion, the the famous Brian expulsion. Mm. Okay, so there's this guy. He's obviously very nervous anyway, and he and he starts. He kind of. Opens up by saying, I know I'm not making a very good account of myself because he can, you can kind of practically see him sweating, but. Essentially he just has a meltdown. And anybody who didn't think he was a traitor at the beginning of his meltdown is absolutely convinced that he's a traitor by the end of his meltdown. He's sort of he gets a little bit tantrum-y, a little bit accusatory about to the other contestants, a little bit desperate. He's kind of flailing around desperately. And I that that's that was the point at which I really thought the, you know, the rest of the contestants should just have checked back in with their rational minds. Because nobody nobody reacts to that to, to the stress of being a traitor that like that i don't think i mean did you understand that did you understand that as a group dynamic
1: i think that it Just ends up sort of snowballing in all of these scenarios. And it takes because you have these very strong personalities who do want to sort of secretly get their own way and stuff, being able to direct that as well, there becomes a lot of pressure. And then I guess you get a situation where there's a lot of in group pressure not to go against what other people are saying. And you know, you think of those psychological studies where if a person walks into a room and is asked how long a line is, and everyone else, says something that is obviously wrong, but they're all actors uh, saying that the line is a metre long when it's obviously not a metre long, the other person will feel a tremendous amount of pressure to go along and say that, yes, it's a metre, because saying what's right in front of you is more terrifying than potentially being the odd one out in that group.
2: Yeah, that I mean that of course is the ash study I believe it's called of, of 57 but there is another study which isn't just about feeling the in-group out-group it's about the exquisite discomfort of a conflicted exchange uh, and and we kind of know th- we kind of know this i mean how often in your life do you have like a high conflict exchange with somebody mm-hmm. we we kind of do anything mm-hmm. to get away from that but the joe navarro who's this ex fbi agent turned author who i spoke to said that he was looking into 261 cases that were cleared on appeal following dna evidence so you knew these people were innocent you knew that the, and and you know history had proven them they they spent a long time trying to clear their name, and they cleared it successfully. 25% of them had pleaded guilty in the moment, and not for post office scandal reasons, not because they were getting a plea bargain, just because the intensity of somebody coming at them and telling them they were guilty, just trying to maintain their innocence in the face of that was too much. And they'd rather give up their liberty than continue it. It's just extraordinary.
1: Terrifying. Oh. Probably the main character, quote unquote, certainly of the first portion of the series has been Paul. For those of you who haven't seen it, we'll still be able to get the impression of Paul. Now, Paul is a very handsome, tall, charismatic white guy, and he, after a point, becomes spectacular. Clearly, obviously a traitor. And this was clear to a few players, yeah. uh, right, who, but who felt a lot of pressure not to be able to say anything. And lots of people still seem to be sort of beguiled for a while because he was the most popular person in the group. He was a person to who people were very, very convinced uh, was faithful. And I do think that it's genuinely interesting across both this series and the previous one to see how unspoken dynamics, even though everyone is technically in the same boat as a participant in this game, how certain unspoken dynamics around things like race, gender, disability do end up showing themselves in a game like this. Is this something that you've noticed as well? It's
2: really weird, isn't it? I mean, that kind of default, the white guy must be right. You know, they're, they're a kind of default authoritativeness, a default trust a default let's see which way he's going and go and go with him the kind of the perception of leaderliness the perception of you know ability to reason everything is mm. is is just really extraordinary and what you i mean what's kind of interesting to me is that You know, Sonia getting voted out on nothing Mm -hmm. at the very start, she, she literally was just a bouncy individual. But there was like something about if she'd been a guy, the way she kind of bounced around, you know, jumping up to everybody like a really excitable dog would have been taken as like part, wouldn't have been taken as this sort of marker that it was because she was a woman. The Paul's credibility, I think, rests on the, rests on his kind of default, him being the default person you Hmm. just imagine as a human. And like the default alpha The default alpha. They were really convinced that when Diane kept going after Anthony, it was, it was just purely racism. And, I mean, you know, I sort of get, I sort of take their point. It wasn't, not that I'm saying Diane is a dyed-in-the-wool racist or anything, but just the kind of, the readiness with which people evaluated him on friendliness and approachability. It was, he hadn't done anything unfriendly. He hadn't done anything unapproachable. It was almost like he had to prove his friendliness before it would be taken as read in a way that Paul would have had to prove his unfriendliness mm. in order for people to find him unfriendly. So there's a kind of all this kind of default social conditioning stuff, which is actually, if you think too hard about it, a little bit depressing.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I think it sort of brings me on to the next thing that I want to talk about, because I suppose when people find themselves particularly in this sort of new environment and they're doing the casting votes for the first time, they're sort of... Incredibly typically, you're like very low information voter, basically, right? They have extremely little information to go on. They are almost certainly, unless through dumb luck, they end up getting a traitor the first time round. they are almost certainly going to expel one of their own. And so it feels as though people do sort of revert to quote unquote vibes, right? And this is something that people talk about a lot in politics, right? Now, I associate the phrase most with journalist Stephen Bush, though I don't know if he came up with it, but he often writes about how politics is largely vibes-based, right? And things like banishment from the game do do in many cases feel quite vibes-based. And so does it almost just show that this is the sort of default setting of our society and our politics. And uh, I guess in a way, as human beings, are we sort of doomed to be led by vibes over evidence? It's an active effort not to be.
2: There's so many, there's so much like coming out of that that makes you really quail, isn't there? Well, I mean, I hate word clouds. And actually, Stephen Bush, (laughs) who's Great. Also hates word clouds. So now that now that he's the vibe master, let's all follow him. But then, but they were it, it, somebody wrote a comment this morning about how Rishi Sunak's kind of dominant word in a word cloud was rich, and Keir Starmer's was boring. And you just look at that and think, well, these aren't these actually aren't the important political aspects of either man. Even though I do personally think Rishi Sunak is too rich to be. Prime Minister, that's not the problem with him. The problem is his politics. And even though I do have some sympathy with the Keir Starmer is boring, that is not the problem with him. The problem, again, if there is a problem, which there is for me, is his politics. You know, it's it's like in a way the charge of Keir being boring is maps more closely onto the problems with his politics because he's not kind of sticking his neck out and he's not making a clear account of who he is and what his values are but when people say that he looks boring what they really mean is i don't want to go for a pint with him because yeah. he doesn't look like he doesn't look like he drinks properly i think is actually the point there's a critical mass thing, isn't there? It's like when enough people in a room are saying a thing with enough certainty, then everybody just like folds immediately. And there, there was a there was quite a good study on Nazism by Michael Maccabee the the management guy, who said that if you look at... He was talking specifically about the rise of Nazism in Germany, but he was saying that if you look at kind of fascistic movements in their infancy when they still need the support of the demos... Only 15% of people ever go against, once something's ignited, once enough people are are proselytizing it, only 15% of people ever stand fast against that. Because again, we're social creatures, you know. So, what do you swim in? So, what do you swim in? And the dominant feeling is not to feel stupid. So, unless you're somebody who's like very comfortable with other people disagreeing with them all you're thinking is how do i not look stupid how do i not look stupid and you see this with with focus groups in the labor party people who weren't old enough to vote in the in, in the last time labor were in government saying things like they can't be trusted with the economy. And you're like, are mm. you out of your goddamn mind? When did you last see them with the economy? When they last had the economy, the economy was fine. Yeah. And you've had 14 years of this nonsense. And you're you're living through the worst cost of living crisis you've ever known. And one, three in 10 children are in poverty. And you're saying Labour can't be trusted with the economy. Now, the reason is that's the only thing they've ever heard about the Labour Party. Yeah. So even though it's incredibly out of date, At least they don't feel stupid saying it. And that's very like the kind of, you know, yeah, 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 it must be Brian because he's freaking out right in front of me. And you're like, it's much, much more uncomfortable to use your brain and stand up against the prevailing view than it is to just go along with it.
1: Yeah. And so it almost becomes in both scenarios, both sort of socially and politically and within the game, like a question of, Ultimately, things resting on who and what can shape the narrative.
2: Yeah, yeah, but but what's really interesting as you look at someone like Zach, and obviously he's he knows his way around a kind of political. Political economics textbook, and he knows, his, and he thinks he understands, you know, crowd mentality and herd behavior and all the rest of it.
1: Zach being one of the uh, contestants who uh, works in parliamentary, yeah, affairs. yeah,
2: he's like, yeah, he's like this, he's this guy who everybody hates. He obviously stays up with his PPE mates talking about what idiots the voters are into the night, but actually, he was no good at resisting crowd mentality either. He didn't make any decent. Analyses for himself. He kept talking about logic, but he never applied it. He kept talking about independent thought, but his votes were very like everybody else's. He wasn't, he's he's understood, he's learned the lessons of what herds do to people, but he hasn't really understood them. And the reason is that they're not, they're wet brain stuff. They come from, they do not come from your thinking part. Yeah. So you, you know, you can think you know it, but you can't, unless you feel it, unless you feel like, standing up against the crowd, you can't do it.
1: Oh, for sure. And like, but I guess it's the same as like, I knew what COVID was. Yeah. Knowing what it yeah. was yeah. didn't give yeah. me immunity yeah. from what it was. What yeah. gave me immunity was the vaccine, right? And yeah, there's no yeah, yeah, yeah. vaccine against uh, ending yeah, yeah, up in this. Yeah. I mean, obviously there would be critics of the vaccines uh, who would say that I myself succumbed to her <laughs> mentality when I got all the shots. So, uh, Andrew Bridgen, if you're listening, I apologise deeply uh, for for my terrible comments, clearly. one thing that i have noticed and it happens a lot when people sort of get accused and they get sort of hot on the collar as you naturally would it's like the more that someone insists that they are a faithful the less like a faithful they sound even to you as the viewer when you know full well that they are right and yet the majority of players at all times are faithful, right? Actually, the deck is slightly stacked against them in the form of the game uh, that's on television versus the one that you may have played as a party game, because to draw it out over 12 episodes, if the number of traitors get too low, they can recruit more, which doesn't happen when you're just playing Mafia or Werewolf with friends, right? Now, a phrase that really annoys me when people talk about politicians is they're all the same, quote Mm. unquote, uh, which is another one of these received wisdom things that it gives you something to say in the moment, right? But they're they're demonstrably not not all the same and make the perfect the enemy of the good, you realise that there is a hell of a spectrum here. But to me, this sort of illustrates the difficulty for a politician trying to differentiate themselves and show to people that they're in it for the right sort of reasons, right? Because the more that they're effectively saying to the electorate, I'm 100% faithful, the more suspicious... Everyone gets, right? And so is there, do you think, like, some way around this for the faithful, for politicians, for us as voters, or is this the unbreakable bind?
2: It's so true, isn't it? And there, and and this is another thing the FBI guy said. It was that... We think we're no good at spotting liars, and we're not that good at it. But what we're really bad at is spotting people telling the truth. And part of the reason is, you know, a huge amount of nonverbal communication is driven by stress. Now, lying is quite stressful, but so is being stressed. Mm. So, if you watch somebody really implode or beg or beseech, as soon as somebody starts pleading their character, it's over for them. Because... Because because it's impossible. You cannot stand before people and say I'm a good person. It's literally impossible. So, you know, if you're talking about playing the game, I don't know. I I think you really have to head it off at the pass. You have to you have to make sure you're not in a situation where you're being accused in the first place. Because as soon as you're pleading for your life, you're dead. Mm. If you're talking about your one's own credulity. There's like a huge amount in their space of n- people don't recognize how much they themselves are bringing to the interaction. So it's like, you know, often when you often when you read accounts of people who got scammed w- on one of the kind of phone scams, there was other stuff going on in the background for them. You know, they like mm-hmm. they had a family problem or they had a work problem or they've just been burgled. There's, there's very often that you're on a kind of state of high alert anyway and being... On high alert, newsflash does not make you more observant. It just makes you more anxious Mm. and more liable to make bad decisions. So we think through our feelings, and the more our feelings are kind of agitated, the worse the quality of our thought. So actually, if people could recognize that and recognize that that their accusation has caused the person in front of them to freak out, then they could make, I think, finer distinctions about who was bullshitting and who wasn't.
1: Yeah, but then, of course, like you may then end up getting trapped with your Boris Johnson figure who fundamentally doesn't give a shit. But the thing uh, is, because- it's,
2: that, it's like you said at the start, I never bought Boris Johnson for one second. And I don't think, I think people often collude with a liar because the lie they're telling is quite attractive. So, you so you know, the whole Boris Johnson lie was he made us hate politicians and then gave us the chance to walk away from politics so it's like oh yes I'm a wanker all everybody's a wanker with me in charge you won't have to think about this ever again and of course I knew that wasn't going to happen but
1: it's 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 a very attractive lie right and very like uh Donald Trump's thing when he was talking about like all of the things that he'd taken away from the tax code and all of the stuff that he'd gotten away with doing. And he's like, and that's why I'm the only one who can fix it.
2: Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he kind of... There is something about... And in a way, the traitors' work is done for them because the, the premise is that you're in an environment with some traitors. So they don't even have to create the chimera of everybody being crooked to get to kind of mask their own insufficiencies. Whereas in politics... The Conservatives, I have to say, really have put quite a lot of work into creating the environment where everybody is bent and everybody is lying. Yeah. And then and, and they do benefit from that. The people who benefit from that are the people who are who who are kind of making false
1: promises. Yeah. For sure. Like the the people who benefit from quote unquote, they're all the same yeah, yeah. are the Boris Johnsons of this world. In the same way that the ones who benefit from sowing discord and getting accusations put about at like the innocent players in the thing are those who have something to get out of it themselves.
2: But, they, but it's, what's interesting as well is that the kind of people, the people who are really unhelpful in the traitors, and I think also, and they remind me of kind of um, centre-right columnists, are the people who are incredibly certain but they themselves are just going with the vibes. So they're really 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 sure of themselves. I'm thinking specifically of Jasmine and Diane that you want to, they're incredibly plausible. They're not arguing on their the, their own behalf. They don't seem to have an agenda. They're just shooting from the hip, and the whole crowd just goes with them, and they're very, very comfortable saying exactly what they think, but there's nothing behind it. There's nothing behind it. Like, Do you remember when Diane was like, I'm going to get killed tonight, so here are your traitors. It's Paul, Meg, and Anthony, and you're like... There's nothing behind it, yeah. <laughs> but you know she's so sure.
1: Yeah, and like be, and being correct about one of those things is basically like that's what you would have got with just the yeah, odds yeah. at the just time.
2: Just running the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um. So I think certainty, even while following the herd is incredibly dangerous for politics. Being incredibly certain is also dangerous because you do wield a lot of influence. And I and, and there you know, there's something to consider for that in all of us, I think. <laughs>
1: Sure. Many people will be aware that former Speaker of the House of Commons, John Burko, took part in the much worse American version of the show. Mm. Who in the world of contemporary British politics, and for the sake of this game, let's assume that when they take part, their political career is forgotten at the door, so it's just based on their okay. character. Yeah. Who do you think would make a particularly good contestant?
2: A good traitor or a good face? Well, on? that's... I mean, OK, somebody who's like... If you've got somebody like Jeremy Corbyn, and then made him the traitor that would be amusing to watch because because he would find that because you know he he his entire persona has been like as this soothsayer for his whole career i'm speaking the truth to power i'm not here for personal gain he would find it exquisitely uncomfortable but I wonder whether it would like unleash secret resources in him. And I think that would be the interesting thing with politicians. You wouldn't want Boris Johnson to be in there as a traitor, because it would just be exactly what you'd predict. Mm. But maybe if he was in there as like an unwitting faithful and you saw him flailing about trying to figure things out. That would be very interesting. And also he would hate not being the centre of attention, can you imagine? Mm. I don't I'm I'm just trying to think about the kind of current crop. What do you think Liz Truss would be like? <laughs> I mean, because she's a bit, she's a bit funny, isn't she? I mean, she's a bit peculiar.
1: Yeah, I think that she would be a particularly good contestant. I don't think that she would be victorious ultimately. Uh, no, yeah, I don't. I but would it would be, be
2: fun to watch. It'd be really fun to watch people turn against her when she was innocent. <laughs> just, just you know, just redress the balance a little bit.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things I read, I guess when it, when it came out, Rory Stewart's book, uh, yeah. Politics on the Edge. And the overwhelming sense that I got was someone who fundamentally just felt that the game was unfair uh, rather than having, like, Dressing it up as having an overarching problem with the nature of the game, yeah, but yeah, the yeah. underlying focus of it was that the game was unfair. And if he had won the game, he would have been a lot less upset about yeah, the yeah, nature yeah, of the game. Yeah. And so, I do think that Rory Stewart would make a very good faithful, if only because I would like to see his banishment speech.
2: Yes, I would like to see his banishment speech. I mean, he drives me insane, Rory Stewart, because you know the only reason he gets any plaudits for his views, which are very, which are which are very kind of basic social. Democratic views is that he's in the Conservative Party, so it's like a dog standing on its high le- hind legs. You know, he's like, "Oh, it's a Tory. Who cares that people starve? Oh my gosh, a man of his position caring about the environment, whatever next?" And you think, "Well, look, seriously, dude, if you really care that much, join the Green Party. Your po- that's basically where you are politically. Stop trying to be this kind of exceptional, kind of puck within your own screwed party."
1: And finally, Zoe, who are you rooting for, the Faithful or the Traitors?
2: I'm rooting for the Faithful because I really like jazz, but i it's not going to kill me if the Traitors win because they are quite fun to watch.
1: I think, given the like game mechanics and it being heavily tilted in favour of the Traitors at basically all times...
2: Uh, Do you think that's I think, right?
1: I think it is. And I know that because this is a international series that many have yeah, taken yeah. place uh, sort of all around the world... In mo- The first series of the British one was unusual right. in that regard. Most of the time, the traitors win. Okay. Uh, and I think that Harry is an exceptionally good traitor, and I think that he may well be victorious.
2: Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that.
1: Zoe, thank you very much for joining me here in the bunker. I'm 100% with you. I'm, I'm 100%. You're 100% faithful.
2: 100%. <laughs> thank you for having me.
1: Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, please do support The Bunker on Patreon. For as little as £3 a month, you can get extras in addition to that warm, glowing feeling you get from knowing you're supporting independent media. I'm Ahir Shah. Thanks for listening.
2: The Bunker was written and presented by Ahir Shah. The producers were Chris Jones and Liam Tate, and the audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and the group editor is Andrew Harrison. With music by Kenny Dickinson and artwork by Jim Parrott, The Bunker is a Podmasters production.
1: Hi listeners, I'm recording this little addendum on Thursday, shortly before the penultimate episode of this series of The Traitors goes out. I think that... Over the last week, as the series has gone on further... It's been more and more clear the extent to which the game mechanics massively advantage the traitors, right? And particularly with their ability functionally to bring people into the fold and throw them under the bus pretty much immediately, uh, which has been used to very great effect. And I suppose that's the thing about a show like this. You can work out the game mechanics pretty easily and work out quite how heavily tilted in favor it is of the people who are doing the wrong thing and that ultimately realistically because of the nature of those game mechanics they will unfortunately almost certainly win uh, unless you're reading for the traders i suppose and i suppose that's one of the things that we have to hope might be a bit different between a show like this and society at large and i think that just as human beings our natural state probably is for most of us to hope that that's not the case otherwise we'd find it very difficult to do anything at all